Hi, I'm Tamara, the host of Without Regret, the podcast, where I hope you'll learn how to live your best life, overcome obstacles, and become successful, whatever that means to you. Learn through my example, as well as my guests, who've all had to overcome adversity and learn to keep on moving forward and upward. I met Jess on TikTok. She said she joined the community because she kept hearing about the videos and wanted to know what the big deal was. And she's addicted to it just like I am. And are you addicted like I am? Yes. My husband will tell you that I am very addicted to TikTok. Jess doesn't post a ton of videos, but she commented on one I posted looking for people to be guests on my podcast. She said, haha, I've had multiple therapists tell me they couldn't help me unpack my baggage from my shitty childhood and that I have no right to be so normal. So I sent her a private message asking about her life and her reply left me speechless. I had to have her on. This was her reply and I quote, I've always refused to let my circumstances dictate how my life was going to turn out. My parents were barely 17 and 19 when I was born. They both battled drug addiction during my childhood. I can remember them snorting cocaine off the coffee table when I was four or five years old. My dad was a drug dealer and actually took me with him to steal drugs when I was a toddler because he thought it would make him less likely to be shot. My mom had a traumatic brain injury when I was five and woke up from her coma with no emotions. She didn't care about anyone but herself. At that point, I went to go live with my dad's parents in poverty while my mom's parents tried to get her together. It didn't work. I grew up knowing she didn't love me. She told me as much as a child, a teenager, and an adult. My dad got clean when I was seven, but I was still treated as a second-class citizen after he remarried. Truly the redheaded stepchild. Despite him having the money, I was forced to pay for college on my own. Married to a narcissist for nine years, but I have three degrees, a career I love, a wonderful husband, and great kids. Unfortunately, there were bad storms rolling through southern Kentucky where she lives the night that we did our Zoom recording, and her signal was pretty bad. So while I'd love to have you listen to her tell her story herself, I don't think you'd want to put up with the bad audio. So I'm just going to narrate it and just play what clips I can here and there. Um, her story and how she lives her life now are just too inspiring not to share. The beginning is good, though, so I'm going to start out with her in her own words. When I was born, my parents were barely 17 and 19, like within just six, eight weeks before I was born, had turned 17 and 19. Um, they had gotten married just a few months before I was born. I think they had dated for a month or two before they got, you know, found out they were pregnant and got married because I was on the way. Um, they were married for less than a year. Um, the divorce was final. Or they were married for just over a year. The divorce was final before my first birthday. Um, they fought. I was telling my husband last night, they were so toxic together. They loved each other, but they fought like you would not believe. Um, where my dad was over 18, he was actually my mother's guardian. And so he had to sign for her to get her driver's license. Oh, wow. And they got into a fight one morning, and he refused to take her and get her driver's license that day. 
<laughs> so I mean, it was little nitpicky stuff like that. They were young. They were really, really young. Yes, very, very young. Um, but then they dated. So they were divorced by the time I was a year old. But then they dated off and on until I was seven. So it was they would be together for a month or two, and then they would be apart for a month or two. And it was always back and forth, back and forth. I can literally remember a day in first grade getting off the bus and the house being empty because they had split up during the day and moved. Wow. And me having to wait for somebody to come pick me up because no one lived there anymore. Oh, my God. So... So, yeah, that could totally mess a kid up. Like, you could, I imagine you didn't have a lot of security at home. And every time they split up, up until the point when they split up the last time when I was seven, I would live with my mom and her parents. And they would put everything we owned in storage. And then they wouldn't pay the storage bill. And so everything we owned, we lost. So you learned at a very early age, you didn't keep anything important at home um, because it was going to be destroyed. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to say goodbye to it at some point. So I did not keep any of the clothes I liked at home. I did not keep any toys at home. Nothing. Everything stayed with my grandparents. Um. It was just safer that way. Right. Now, I had told you before um, in a TikTok message, my mother had a traumatic brain injury when I was five. Right. Was involved in music trying to play. Um, she was in a motorcycle wreck, and it shattered the helmet she had on <sighs> to give you an idea of how much damage it did. The man that called 911 thought it was a bag of trash that had flown out of the woman's car. And it was my mother's body flying off the back end of the motorcycle. Oh, my God. It broke uh, every bone in her face. It broke several ribs. It broke her shoulder. She was in a coma for, I think it was only two weeks. I was five. So, again, a lot of this is perception and just what I can remember. Mm -hmm. Um but when the phone rang, I can remember her getting on the motorcycle and leaving. I can remember telling her not to go. Uh, my family says that I had been telling her for weeks that Jesus was coming to get her. Um, You're going to make me cry. I, it, yeah, it was awful. My grandmother said for weeks that I wouldn't let mom out of my sight. And we have never been close, so it was weird anyway. Right. Uh, but I remember the phone ringing. And the police calling my dad, which was weird because we hardly ever had a home phone because we never could afford it. But we actually had one at that point, and I can remember the phone ringing. We were supposed to be going to the county fair, my mom and um, a friend of hers and their kids. And dad got the phone call, and he brought me off with my grandmother. You know, luckily I have the best grandparent in the whole world. And my grandmother took me to the fair that night with my uncle, who's just a couple years older than me. 
And dad came back the next day and told me that, you know, mom had had the wreck and she might not ever wake up. You know, and as a parent now, I can't imagine being, you know, she was 22, so he was 25. And having to tell his child, you know, your mom might not wake up. Wow. But that was the beginning of the end for them. Mm -hmm. You know, he was already starting to do coke at that point. She had not yet, but he was already dabbling, um, and he just spiraled while she was in the hospital, um, while she was in recovery. She did not come home from rehab until that was, she wrecked in June. She came home from rehab in November, you know, the rehab hospital. Mm -hmm. And so he pretty much partied all summer, all fall. When she came out, she was still hallucinating. She was still unable to take care of herself. Went to her parents. Uh, this whole time, I was staying with... So this is where the signal starts to get bad and she froze up. Um, but her mother went to live with her parents while Jess went to live with her dad's parents. Eventually, her mom and dad moved back in together, and that's when her mom started to use cocaine as well. They were both drunk and high all the time. Her mom got a large settlement from the accident. She's not sure exactly how much it was, but it was a significant amount, enough that they talked about buying a house and some land, and they got a trip to Disney World out of it. But the following year, her parents split up for good. Her mother was so out of it that she signed over full custody to her dad, who dropped her off at his parents' house and moved to California. While he was in California, for about six months, he got off of Coke, but he still smoked pot every day, and he still does to this day. But he was off the harder stuff, so it was better. At this point, she goes back in time a little to when she was little, and they couldn't make ends meet, so her dad sold drugs. They never hid anything from her, which she looks at two different ways. In one way, she believes that as a, a child should never be exposed to the things that she was exposed to as a child. She remembers watching her parents snort Coke off the coffee table clear as day. They always had glass tables and Coke was always being cut on them. The house was always full of people. But on the flip side, because she has seen it all firsthand and has seen people overdose in her living room, um, she's never done pills. She's never had the desire to do the things her parents did while she was growing up. She's seen it all. She knew what was going to happen. So she felt like if she had the choice between doing a line of Coke and a loaded gun... She would choose the gun and shoot herself because she felt like she'd have a better chance of surviving the bullet than doing that line of coke. I'm just going to let that sink in. Watched it all. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd already seen what it was going to happen because of it. You know, I used to tell my dad growing up, you know, because he'd always tell me, you know, don't do this, don't do that. You know, if you were to lay down a line of coke in front of me and a loaded gun, I would get the gun. And shoot myself in the head because I stood a better chance for buying that bullet than I did that line of code. Wow. So she also knows that she has an addictive personality. She says that she was born to be an addict. But she also knows that it's up to her to not make the choices that would have her end up being an addict. If she were to do coke or heroin or pills or any of those things, she would be addicted to them. So she's always made the conscious choice not to start. I did ask her if there was ever a time that she thought about it, and she said she did have a problem with alcohol at one point, but she caught it very early and quit. And now she says she can have a drink, but she very rarely has more than two. 
She mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that she's thinking about having the gastric sleeve surgery, which is for weight loss. I recently had this surgery and I talk about it on TikTok, which is why she started following me to begin with. So I did ask her if she thought that her manifestation of addiction was with food because many of us overweight people are addicted to food and we use it as a coping mechanism. But she shot that theory down. Um, She said that it was the opposite, that she battled anorexia instead. I wish I'd asked her more about that. (laughs) I wonder how she was able to overcome that. However, she's obviously a very strong, self-aware person, so I have to think that she probably just nipped it in the bud like she did the drinking. Uh, But rather go down that line of questioning, a huge missed opportunity, I admit, and I will get better. (laughs) Instead, I observed how people who grow up, grew up like her, or grow up like her, tend to be just like their parents or the complete opposite. And she went the opposite direction. She agreed, but elaborated that her current husband grew up very similar to her. As a matter of fact, their dads were best friends, and he is a recovering addict. Right, and they do. My husband grew up very similar to me. Our dads were best friends. Uh-huh. Husbands are uh, You know, most of the kids I grew up in with in life have all been in prison. They have overdosed and died, or you know, they have with addiction for the last twenty years. Right. I was commenting the other day about how. Um, I, me and my friends, you know, as teenagers were, were into all the things, you know, (laughs) and drinking and, and drugs more. So my friends, I didn't do Coke either. I had my own reasons, but I never did Coke either, but I smoked pot. I did acid, you know, drank alcohol at a very young age. Right. And all of my friends miraculously are like still alive and doing very well. And I was like, wow, how did that happen? <laughs> how did that even happen? <laughs> very, very fortunate. Very fortunate, yeah. I don't think anybody um, got into meth or heroin or anything like that. I think if it had gotten to that point, you know, I think cocaine was probably the, the most they ever did. But they never did it around me because it wasn't my thing. So, right. but it's, you know... So thankfully, I don't have, and those people are all my still still my friends to this day. Thankfully, I don't, I don't think I personally know anybody who died of a drug overdose. Jess commented that she and her husband have had several close friends who have died of drug overdoses. But with their closest circle of friends, she says she mothered everyone. She was the one who took everyone's keys and was the designated driver. If she were to drink, she waited until everyone was home safe, including herself. She made sure nobody had any drinks or anything that they didn't know where it came from and to be smart about it. She tried really hard to keep everyone safe when she could. The conversation then turned to the present and we talked about where her mom is now. Now, is your mom still alive today? She is. Uh, She still battles addiction. She'll tell you that she doesn't. But she just recently got fired from pain clinic for having things in her system that shouldn't have been. So now she buys her pain pills off the street. Um, she buys her uh, seizure meds off the street. Um, you know, but she'll tell it's not a problem. Right. Um, in the message, you had mentioned that your mom told you multiple times that she didn't love you. But do you think that that's a result 
of her accident that she's not capable. Unfortunately, she started to break up pretty bad. But she says sometimes she does, but she doesn't have a lot of memories of her mother. She can remember things from when she was three years old, but no memories of her mother before the wreck. Um, But her aunt tells her that before the accident, her mother was very much the same as she is now. Um, She liked to sleep all day. There were times her aunt uh, was coming to pick her up and take her to her grandparents' house, and her mom never even woke up. She doesn't think that she was that much different then than she is now. But the wreck did affect her ability to make decisions, Um, so she doesn't have a lot of emotions. So to blame everything on the wreck, sometimes she's just very selfish, self-centered person. And unless, um, what you're doing is beneficial to her, she doesn't care. Even now with her own children who are teenagers, she said she loves them. She loves all of them, but unless they're doing something for her, they don't really hear from her. About her dad, she said he does good. He does drink too much, but he works hard and has been remarried for almost 30 years. But they don't get along, she and her stepmom, and she's chosen not to be in her life. They have chosen not to be in her life. Uh, They want to act like their great-grandparents when other people are around. But again, the only time they ever hear from him is when he needs something or needs to see the kids. So she might hear from him other than holidays, like once or twice a year. I asked about her grandparents. So, but you mentioned that your grandparents, and these were your dad's parents, your paternal grandparents, were awesome people. She says both sets of grandparents were awesome. Her mom's parents had visitation rights, so she would spend the week with her paternal grandparents and weekends with her mom's parents. And three of those grandparents are still alive, and she does see them often, and they're pretty much the center of her world. I always ask my guests where their strength comes from, and Jess says it was her dad's mom. She said her grandfather wasn't always good to her grandmother, so she taught Jess to never have to rely on anyone for anything. She wanted to make sure she could take care of herself, and Jeff has always done whatever she could to make her proud. And today, Jess has three associate's degrees, an AA, an AS, and an AAS. She's only two semesters away from getting her bachelor's in psychology. Um, She does currently work as a physical therapist assistant and works at a facility for adults with intellectual disabilities. She's thought about going back and getting her bachelor's, but it wouldn't benefit her that much in her current career, and she struggles with going back to school when all of her children are still at home. I asked her how she gets through the rough times in life. When things get her down, what does she lean on to get through it and get past it? After a little bit of hesitation and thinking of how to phrase her answer, she replied that she's had so many people that she's met in life who want to blame their circumstances on why they can't be successful. Quote, my parents didn't love me, so I can't do that, end quote. She's dealt with all of that and been dealt some pretty shitty hands, and you just have to want to do better for yourself. You have to want to do better for your children. Her whole goal was that she knew she had to do better for her children. From the time she was a small child, she knew this. There have been times when it was hard. At 21, she was an unmarried mom with a bit of a drinking problem and running with the crowd who were still partying too much. And when she decided she needed to straighten up and do what was right for her family, it made a lot of people around her mad. But she had someone to think about other than herself. Sometimes you have to remember that you don't get to be selfish. Well, you're right, though. I do. I'm this, I see so many people who, who blame their parents or blame you know, blame things for why they can't get ahead. And I'm sure with having almost a psychology degree, you're familiar with internal locus of control versus the external 
locus of control. And I, I don't know if that's learned behavior or if that's innate within us. I definitely have an external or an internal locus of control. And I think you do too. And that's just believing that I'm in control of my own destiny. Like I have the power to change my circumstances versus I can't do anything because of X, Y, and Z external things that are preventing me from moving ahead. So, you know, I think that's one of the, that's, that's why I want to do this podcast is because I want people to understand that you are in control of your destiny, whether you think you are or not, you are. I mean, but it does take a strong mind and a strong will, right, to to be able to to take the control and do something with it. She agreed, saying, you do have to be strong and you do have to be mad at the world. When her dad remarried, she moved in with her dad and spent her teenage years living with her dad and stepmom. She had a significantly younger stepbrother and he was the golden child. Anything he wanted, he got. He was never punished, where she was switched until she had blood running down her leg. She doesn't think her stepbrother was ever even yelled at. Things were very, very different in their house between them. If she was grounded, it was for a three-month minimum where he may have been told to do a chore. And the drugs were hidden from him, so he never knew their dad smoked pot, where she was taken along when she was too small to reach the pedals to be the designated driver. But her dad had always told her, be a good girl and I'll pay for you to go to college. But during spring break of her senior year in high school, after putting a down payment that she came up with on her own for college, he told her that it would take too much away from her stepmom and her stepbrother to pay for her to go back to school. So they wouldn't be giving her any financial assistance for school. Not only that, but they wouldn't even fill out her financial aid forms because they didn't want their social security number on anything having to do with school. So she couldn't get grants or loans or anything like that for college. The school she'd wanted to go to, um, she'd gotten a $20,000 scholarship she graduated with a 3.8 GPA and had already taken several courses toward college. She had gotten into a private school in North Carolina and spring break of her senior year, all of that got taken away from her. So she ended up going to a community college in state and had to pay for everything herself, working two or sometimes three jobs to afford it while taking between 16 and 19 credit hours a semester. I asked what made her not give up because this is the important thing, right? This is, this is what people need to hear. Like, how did you continue on? What made you not give up? And for her, she said she wasn't going to let them take her dreams away from her. She had to change her plan a little bit, but she wasn't going to let them put her in a box and be set up for a life of failure, which is what she felt like they wanted to do. So her plan was to finish her AA at the community college in Kentucky and then take a semester off and move to Tennessee with her mother. Then she could get financial aid since her mom was disabled and didn't work and get a grant to go to the University of Tennessee. But the semester she took off is when she got pregnant with her first child. So school got put off a little. Well, good for you. I mean, amen to you because, yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine having growing up like that and how that would make you feel, you know, as a young child like that, being having so much responsibility and being exposed to all the stuff you were exposed to I can't even imagine like I'm just I'm in awe and I'm so uh, you know good for you for you know for sticking to your guns and not letting it not letting it control you I think that's just amazing 
I mean, what would you tell somebody that's in a similar situation? Because one of the things, you know, that I've kind of felt like um, I do lack, you know, is you know, my strength, like I said, comes from my mom. And it, so it, I did have a strong, you know, woman that was kind of my, even though she didn't have any idea at the time that she was being a role model for me or teaching me anything. She was just trying to survive. But like you, she was like, I'm going to, God dang it, I'm going to do it. You know, like, um, but you know, when I, if I want to motivate other people to take control of their life, you know, the one thing I can't speak to is what if you had shitty parents growing up? Like, what do you, what do you tell somebody you know, that, that lived that life that is complaining, that is complaining about it. You know, what would, what would you say to them? What would be your advice? So she says she would tell them that it's time to make a better life for yourself. You can't keep blaming it on other people. At some point you have to take responsibility. And if you want a better life, you have to make that better life for yourself. Her husband grew up very similar to her, even more poor. He knows what it's like to go to bed hungry. He was kidnapped at one point and held hostage for an entire day. She herself has been kidnapped both by her mother and by a family friend. There's so many things, she says, but her husband did become a drug addict. He was hooked on narcotics, prescription pain pills after breaking his back, which led to non-prescription pain pills. He went to jail at a young age and um, they just now actually got that expunged from his record after 17 years. They had to fight the court and get it overturned. After 17 years, he's no longer a felon. Both of his parents are felons, so he's turned everything around now, and he's making more money than he ever has. He has a career, but it's something he's had to work hard for. At one time, though, he was the kind of person who blamed his circumstances. He felt like this is just what he was dealt, and there wasn't anything he could do about it. But she didn't let him get away with that. She pushed him, and she told him that it's just an excuse, and if he wanted something better, he had to go get it. That's when he found out that in Kentucky... If you have charges, you can apply on the state's website for 50 bucks and get a list of them and find out which ones are able to be dismissed or not. So he took that step and found out that his charge was able to be expunged. Then he had to appeal the court and tell them why he thought it should be overturned. Then you go in front of the judge, uh, which he did via, via phone because it was during the pandemic. But he told the judge that he'd not been in trouble in 17 years. He's trying to improve his life. And they looked back and saw that he didn't even have a speeding ticket during that time. And they can see that he's not up to the same antics he once was. So the judge signed off on it. Uh, had he been in any kind of trouble during that seven-year period, though, it's a big possibility that the judge would have said no. I asked how he got off the drugs. And she said that she ran into him at a cookout one day, which happened occasionally because, you know, their parents were friends. And she told him he had a problem and he needed to get help. And apparently he didn't realize that he was that bad at that point. But her bringing it to his attention made him aware and he quit cold turkey and stayed clean since. He's been clean for 10 to 12 years and they've been a couple now for eight. It just took someone to say something for him to get clean. I told her that he was lucky to have her and she said at the time he probably didn't think that. Um, so yeah, but this was this has been awesome. I, I think you're... your story is amazing and I really think you can, you know, inspire other people that you know, have been in similar situations. And, you know, I think that at the end of the day, it's just take control of your life. Like you are in control. You have, but you have to want it. You do have to want it. You got to want it pretty bad. You got to have that motivation to know why you're doing it. 
you know, what is the, what drives you to, and what keeps you going? You've got to know what that thing is that keeps you going. You've got to go back to that thing when, th when times get tough, right? You yeah. Back to that and say, you know, like for me, it was my daughter. I was 19 when my daughter was born and I was married to somebody who was doing a lot of drugs and, you know, my, my daughter could have had a story like you, you know, and that makes me sad to think that. But thankfully, I was strong enough to say, I can't raise a child like this. Like, this is not how my child will be raised. And that's that was my motivation, mm -hmm. you know, was to give her a better life than I had. And, you know, a better life than our lives were heading down at that time. So um, she was my, my motivation. It may have taken a couple of years to really sink in, but... <laughs> I mean, gosh, when you were talking about your parents and people at your house all the time and the drugs being done in front of the kids, it just it reminded me so much of my own marriage, you know, my first marriage and what our life was like when I was pregnant with her and after, you know, shortly after she was born. It was the same thing. It was a party at the house almost every night. And, you know, yeah. I would shelter her from that as much as I possibly could. And thankfully, she was so little that she doesn't have any memories of it. But if I hadn't left, it could have been, it could have been a very similar, you know, story. Just then shared that there were so many parties at her house that she acquired a taste for beer when she was still in her walker. She would walk around in it and turn beer cans. I took this to mean that she was drinking from them. In the infinite wisdom of her then 18-year-old mother, her solution was to put tequila in the beer cans, thinking this would make her stop party he was going to he just drugged me along with it i got drug along everywhere um and if we were out of pop in the cooler he would just hand me a beer like it was nothing we'll just get a beer the first time i remember getting drunk i think i was seven. Oh wow you know and he's talked before too um you know when he uh, used to the when he and mom first split up so i was about a year old or just before i turned a year old he lived with some buddies of his and he would come and get me for you know his visitation and take me out to his house for the weekend and i mean these are guys one of them is still living and i'm you know all of my parents friends were so young that i have become friends with most of them that are still living over the years because i essentially grew up with them but anyway so he and uh, this guy would you know drive out to their house and they smoke pot on the way out there well he said it took him about three or four times to realize he needed to roll the windows down when he did that because i'd get high in the back seat because i'd be asleep before we got there every time and me not even a year old yeah wow yeah he and his friends used to think it was funny when he was selling pot when i was little and i mean like toddler little for me to be the one to exchange the money in the baggie because he thought he would keep him from getting in trouble yeah i, I don't know why i did it but yes essentially i was the drug dealer oh my gosh i was the one exchanging the money for the baggie my grandmother was giving a perm my mom's mom was a beautician at night um, she was giving a perm one time. I was probably four, and I got in trouble for using the perm papers, pretending I was rolling a joint. But one time, I was, a t again, a toddler. Um, my dad went to steal some pot 
how does somebody's healed and took me with him because he thought he would be less likely to get shot yeah was with him. that was something you put in the in the message on tiktok that i was just like what i thought he would be less likely to get killed if he had a kid with him well apparently it worked yeah. So, yeah. so the, um, you know, I called my podcast without regret. I was going to call it no regret, but that was already taken <laughs> because <laughs> I feel like, you know, yeah, there's a lot of crappy stuff, mostly decisions I personally made in my life. Some things that, you know, were out of my control, like my parents divorcing when I was six and my dad being alcoholic and my mom, you know, struggling to, to raise two kids, um, on her own, um, but at the end of the day, you know, when I, I, I'm kind of almost grateful sometimes for those experiences because I feel like they did make me the strong person that I am today and who knows how I would have turned out otherwise. And I tend to not want to look back on the past and say, what if, you know, what if this had happened? What if that had happened? Because you can't change it. It is what it is. You have no control over what's happened in the past. All you can do is move on from it. So that's why I called the podcast without regret because, you know, I have to take all the things that have happened and learn from it. And it's, it's made me who I am today. And I live a really good life today and I'm very, very happy. So, you know, I don't really have regret for anything, even the stupid stuff I did as a youngster. You know, sometimes I look back at it and go, I, I had a lot of fun, you know, and I, but I still turned out okay at the end of the day. So how do you feel about that? Do you have regret or do you, you feel like, I seem like the kind of person that's like me, like it is what it is, you know? Right. You know, and even, you know, cause there was some pretty horrible stuff that happened to me growing up that I've not touched on. Yeah. You know, even with that, you know, everything has made me who I am. Right. You know? Had anything changed, I wouldn't be who I am. Right. Yeah. My kids will tell you I'm a hard ass, but I'm a good mom. You know, mm -hmm. my 13 year old still comes and cuddles up with me. And so I'm obviously not doing too bad if she will come and cuddle up with me. You know, at her age, you know, my sons still respect me. They will come and talk to me, you know. I'm obviously not doing too bad. Right. Um, I'm a hard worker. You know, my grandfather made the point after I finished my last degree that did it on my own and, could, and nobody could take anything I had away from me because everything I have, I've worked for. Right. You know, and that's just, like you said, you can't live a lifetime regretting anything. No. You can't, you can't live in the past. You cannot live no. in the past. You can't, I mean, you can, you can remember the past for sure, you know, and, and, but learn yeah. a lesson from it and learn not to repeat those same mistakes over and over and over again, or exactly. whether they're your mistakes or somebody else's mistakes that you can learn from, you know, I feel like though I'm the kind of person that I had to learn it the hard way, unfortunately. And I think my daughter's kind of the same way. Um, She's 27 and she's finally, you know, she's got her dream job and she's like super happy now, but you know, she had to work really hard for it too. She didn't, but, and I worried raising her, I, this is a question for you too. Like I worried, um, 
you know, after I remarried and, you know, we bought a house and we did the whole, you know, nuclear family thing, um, only just one child, but, um, you know, she was kind of spoiled because we could spoil her. You know, she, I, I had the means and we weren't rich by any means, but we had the means to, you know, get her what she wanted for Christmas and, you know, had, had the car and all the things. And, and sometimes I felt like, I regretted some of that because that's something I might regret it a little bit because I was like, she's not learning the lessons I learned because of yes. she's has stuff kind of handed to her a little bit. Like I so get it. I so get it. Um, both of our boys, my son and bonus son are three months apart. So we have two boys that are 17 getting ready to go into their senior year. This Oh, fall. wow. Two of them. And yes, and my son is the laziest child on the face of the earth. It's so you know, frustrating. We, I, I live where I live because this is where my ex-husband is from. His mother taught at this school district um, for a number of years. We wanted our kids to go through this particular school district because of that. But it's only preschool through eighth grade and then they have to switch school districts to go to high school because we don't have a high school oh, wow. like we live in a little bit we have a tiny tiny community even the high school that they go to is like 400 people oh wow but the whole school district they were in was less than 500 for preschool through eighth grade wow. <laughs> like a little bitty tiny but at the small school district we knew all of their teachers like I had baby shower gifts from all of these people kind of thing. Yeah. So everybody knew him. Everybody knew him. So if he didn't do something, there was always somebody on him. Mm-hmm. Well, when he transferred out to high school, he doesn't have that at the high school. And so he has failed classes. He's getting C's and D's and barely passing the ones he is passing. And he has just this awful GPA, and he thinks he's going to go to college on it. And I'm like, right now, you're not getting into, you know, you're not getting into community college, let alone he wants to go to this nice private school. And it's like, they're going to laugh at you. You know, and I've been telling him this for three years, and he still doesn't get it. But yeah, they did, what was it, his freshman year, he failed geometry. And I'm like, yes, he'll have to go to summer school. This is going to teach him a lesson. You know, thinking this is the way it needs to be. They, (laughs) it was set up to where he only had to go long enough to do enough work to get him up to a C, and then he was done. It took him a day and a half. Oh, my gosh. By 1 o'clock on Tuesday, he was dismissed from summer school. Wow. I was like, what did this teach him? Well, I'm going to I'm gonna thank you, and I'm going to go ahead and, and close out. And So thank you very much, yeah. and you have a good evening. Thank you. All right, well, you too. Talk to you soon. Wow. I hope you found Jessica's story of survival as inspirational as I did. I can't believe she got through it without shedding a tear. I'm always worried my guests may bring back some pretty unpleasant feelings when rehashing their stories, so I'm glad she was able to hold it together. I want to say I don't know how she does it, but I do. She's strong, and she has a very strong survival instinct. You can, too. Visit my website and view my blog at www.withoutregretpodcast.com for more information. Thanks for listening.